Hi, and welcome back to our podcast. This is week five or episode five. Um, this week we will be talking about translanguaging and emergent bilinguals. My name is Grace. I'm an elementary education major and a minoring minoring in leadership studies. I'm Jordan. I'm a sophomore majoring in elementary education with an ESL endorsement. I'm Allie. I'm a sophomore studying elementary education with getting an ESL endorsement. Um, The first thing we're going to talk about is what key policies and historical moments have impacted bilingual education. One key policy is that there were legislations passed requiring schools to offer bilingual education programs, and the bilingual education emerged within the historical context of immigration and focused on, like, equality and education in in the classrooms and providing programs for non-English speakers. And it all started in 1968 when Congress passed the first Bilingual Education Act. And then in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled in the Lavi Nichols case that schools are obligated to take steps to assist non-English speaking students and make sure that they get the support they need to understand and succeed in the classroom. Um, I think the most impactful one was in 1954, the Supreme Court ruled Brown versus Board of Education. And this led led to struggle for civil rights. So later, about 10 years later, in 1964, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act. And this, according to it, quotes, No person in the United States shall, on the ground of race, color, or national origin, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or to be subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Yeah, I feel like... um... Brown versus Board is something that, like, it covers more than education. Like, I learned it in my history, like, almost every year in history classes. Um, and I, I guess it's really good that it keeps coming back and it, like, highlights how, how important it was and how much, like, how many different fields it impacted, like, not only education, but also just, like, general, like, outside of school life, too. Yeah, it's, like, one of the most, like, well-known and, like, it really strengthens like not only the education field but just making sure that like people that don't speak English or that have like barriers like get the help and support they need to like live in society and even like just like in schools to get the education that they need and get the resources and stuff because it's not always like a fair education for these students because sometimes they're placed in classrooms where they're like meant to fail like, indirectly, but, like, teachers don't understand that just because they don't understand the language, like, they don't know how to accommodate those students, and that's why I feel like it's, like, beneficial and really important that they learn about it and how to accommodate all their students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's good that, like, we've covered this in school so much so that, like, once we get into the real world, we can, like, continue to address these things, and, like, we know, like, why laws like this are in place so that, like, we're not complaining about, like, like having, I don't know, like, where our money's going to and, like, why is certain funding going this way and this way. Um, I thought another one of the important acts that they covered in this um, article was the Bilingual Education Act that um, we, we kind of already talked about what it's about. But um, I think it's good that it points out uh, how it, um, it gives assistance to local agencies to... Um, carry out new imaginative programs and kind of give them the freedom to um, do what they feel is best for that community. So 
the act kind of or the law act um kind of covers all of its bases by saying like giving the agencies the freedom to um do what they think is best next we're going to talk about this question what are the differences in language ideologies embedded within different bilingual programs the differences are the language used in instruction, meaning that some classrooms only speak English or, or only do for a certain percentage of the day, while others may speak a different language. Also, the components used in the classroom are, have different meanings, and some may have ESL teachers while others don't. Or maybe they have different ways of teaching instruction or literacy or subject matter based on different languages or at home settings. Also, the duration of each one is different and the amount of time it takes to estimately become proficient. Lastly, the goals that are used in the classroom are also different. What the teachers want to come out of this, the what the teachers want the students to come out with can be different. Some teachers may want the students to come out being proficient. Others may want them to just learn parts of a different language. Yeah, I kind of related that question to um, the chart that was in the article Programs and Policies for Educating Emergent Bilinguals. Um, I've never really seen it highlighted, like the different types of programs um, for emergent bilinguals. Like they had submersion, English as a second language, structured English emergent, immersion, and then like transitional and so on. Um, and I found it interesting that like, like how I like some of these I would think were the same thing, like submersion, and then um, oh, I guess. I guess I knew submergent was different, but like transitional and then ESL, like I thought those were just synonyms. So um, I think submersion is mostly highlighted as like 100% English. And I've thought of this typically as like people who study abroad in a different country, like in a Spanish speaking country, then they're submerging, submersing into like speaking Spanish. And so that's what I mostly think about for that. Um, but then English as a second language is what I've mostly heard in like schools and, um, basically it's just using 99 or 90 to hundred percent, um, English and then may include some sort of home language support. Um, and I don't know, there were just a bunch of other types of like programs that it listed in this chart. And I thought it was interesting to, like, go back and look at the differences for each of them because then other ones, like, transitional bilingual education um, had about 50-50 in each language um, for the usage of, like, home and at school. Um, and basically what I noticed that the goals for each of them, like Ali was talking about, were linguistic assimilation. So, like, with each of these, like, you're aiming for the same thing. Um, and, like, bilingualism and biliteracy, so. How have English-only laws impacted bilingual education and the programs offered to students across the country? Um, for this one, I said that English-only laws have made it more difficult for students who are bilingual um, to, like, blend the two languages that they're supposed to be learning together, especially young students. Um, when a student is using their home language at school, it can be more easier, uh, more, it can be easier for them to, like, understand 
both languages. But one positive side I did get from this was from using the article before um, that talked about like how this could be, I guess, seen as immersion more, um, which could be frustrating and difficult to students, but it is still a way to get the um, um, them to learn the language. Yeah, like, some schools, like, don't even offer these programs, which makes it especially harder for students. And, like, in a way, they do offer the programs. It's, like, a submersion program where they just, like, put them straight in the English classroom and they make them, like, only speak English. And it's just, like, hard for these students because they sink in a way. And, like, they don't, because they don't know what the teacher is saying. It's, like, if I went to Mexico and was put in a classroom there, like, I would have zero knowledge or understanding of what the teacher was saying, and I'd be very confused. But also these programs impact, um, like, students because some of the programs are trying to get students to, like, use their home language. And I think that if you're trying to get a student to understand English, you need to bring in their home language because they're going to associate words with their home language. Like, for example, like, in Spanish, like, if they're thinking of water, they're going to associate it with agua because that's what they know. And so you need to bring words like that into and, like, keep their home language in there and, like, let them use whatever language they want and speak this, like, Spanglish um, language that we, like, that they incorporate and that they, like, understand. So, yeah. Um, I remember in my elementary school, we were, like, it was, like, mainly white. We did not have, like, a main, like, diversity. And I remember there was one kid that came from Mexico. And, like, my school, like, really did not know what to do. Like, I remember he would just sit in our classroom while our teacher taught in English. Like, obviously, he knew nothing that was going on. He was taking out for probably, like, an hour to a day to that where he probably, like, actually learned something. But for the rest of the day, he literally just sat there. And, like, we were, like, nice, but, like, he had no way of, like, communicating with us. He had no one, like, there to help him to translate. Like, school is basically pointless for him. Yeah. I think situations like that, I guess, are kind of confusing because if you have a population that's, like, mostly just, you know, born and raised there and they don't, they only speak the English, then I guess, like, there's not really as much of a point to hire another person in your school. But, like, I feel like someone in the school should still have to be prepared for like students to come especially if it's a public school I um I I'd say like in my elementary school I don't think I saw problems like that in high school but definitely in elementary school like there would be students that like would just sit in the back of the classroom and they would exactly like what you said like they'd get pulled out for maybe an hour um but like they definitely didn't get the same things out of school as other people did and like you can still teach like math carries over and stuff like that and um but like it's still hard for them to learn if it's in another language even if it's something that's not related to like English or Spanish or something like that. I feel like even if you go to a school that is predominantly white and that does have majority uh, English speakers like you still need to be, get educated and, like, understand how to accommodate these students because you might have a situation, like Ali said, where the student comes from Mexico, like, you never know. But, like, even though it's not common, it should still be something that you should be taught and that we should understand because it can be a big issue for these students. Like, they're not going to learn the same materials as us because they're just going to sit there and 
look at everybody and wonder like what they're saying because they're not going to understand it. So I just feel like you need to like get be educated on it and like talk about the what ifs like the and stuff just so teachers are aware that like it could happen but it might not. Um, if you guys were in this situation, how do you think that you would handle having a student who didn't speak English in a classroom that primarily did? How would you incorporate this without taking away from, like, the other students? I feel like for me, I would, like, talk to the other, like, teachers at my school or, like, the administrative side of it and, like, see what they have that can help me and, like, see if they have any resources and they know anyone or, and also, like, if they know anybody that speaks Spanish that can, like, or whatever language the student speaks can like help me out and like give me the translation because I don't want to like give this student a worksheet that like says the wrong translation on it like that would just be embarrassing on my part mm -hmm. and stuff and like also like I feel like if this ever came up in my school like I would have my teachers like or even like if I go work in a school that's predominantly white I would just mention to the principal that maybe we should talk about this and figure it out beforehand so that all the teachers, like, understand it and they don't have to get in the situation where they leave the student in the back of the classroom. They can actually, like, incorporate them into the activities and, like, make, and, like, make them feel welcomed in the classroom because there are going to be students that don't speak English and you're going to have to be ready, like, on the spot to deal with them and to help them out and, like, support them. So it's, like, a good thing that you're, like, prepared. Mm -hmm. I feel like especially with now, there, there's got to be some sort of, like, I feel like teachers I've seen use a lot of just YouTube videos or what's it called, Khan Academy and stuff like that. They've got to have options for that in Spanish. So, like, we, I mean, when I was growing up, like, we didn't really, I feel like we didn't use technology as much. So, it might have been different than it is now. But, like, going into teaching in a few years, if this same thing were to happen to me and I didn't have, like, resources for my school to use, then, like, I'd probably like, try and utilize stuff like that, like, videos from the internet, because I know, like, if Khan Academy or something like that is, like, posting tutorial videos, um, about math or, like, bilingual studies, um, for that grade level on the internet, like, they've got to be right, so I think the hard part also is that, like, if it's just one student, um, like, there's, like, kind of a way to feel, make them feel, like, left out and, like, isolated, um, it kind of reminds me of one of my classes this year, one of my, prof like, there's, uh, I'm in an RST class, and, like, one of the girls in my class, like, is in a wheelchair, and we'll have to, like, demonstrate different, like, sports activities, and, like, he really kind of, I mean, he's doing it because he thinks it's nice, but, it, and it might mean, I don't know how she feels about, um, like, what, like, the way he's, like, handling her situation and accommodating for her, but, like, most of the time, like, people would be teaching the class and, like, giving demonstrations to the class using their full body, but, like, we've kind of really just, like, been using only our hands in order to, like, accommodate for her, which is good, but he kind of uses her as an example in every single lesson, and I don't know if it were me and if the professor was, like, calling me out, like, like, using me as an example for, like, disabilities and, like, making accommodations, it might make me, like, feel a little bit, like, left out and, like, pointed at. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely important to, like, accommodate everyone, but without making it feel like they're the reason for the accommodation. Yeah. If that makes sense. 
I don't know. I have a teacher actually this semester, I'm not gonna name out names, but she was like telling us how she would never um work at home or like she would never okay, she would never work at home or she would like never put plan lesson plan at home because it was out of her pay grade. So I think that it's important for teachers to like do that like work at home, just try to like think of different ways and like brainstorm and think of ideas because if you have like a spanish-speaking student who is in an english primarily speaking classroom i think going at home and thinking of different ways to accommodate them maybe making translations like you were talking about or having maybe pictures around the classroom that could also help them i feel like that's an important aspect of being a teacher too One of the other things we covered in class this week was the podcast Language Education, and it had a guest speaker, Nelson Flores. Um, what would you guys, uh, what did, how did you reflect on this podcast after listening to it? So I said that bilingual and ESL programs are basically aimed at taking away like your, the student's home language and making them like only speak, write, and understand English. Like <clears throat> educators are basically like stripping them of their culture and saying that bilingual education is associated to race and racism because students who typically need to go into these programs are students of color or immigrants and it doesn't always mean that they don't speak English because last week we talked about the idea of like black anti-racist pedagogy and how black students speak a different type of English um like that AAVE and stuff and then it also talks about how these programs are associated with certain races and stuff and how the tension of bilingual education is like hard for these students to um, learn English so quickly because it takes time and practice before you become proficient in a language and then I talked about the three terms linguistic celebration honoring languages and critically examining languages and I said that Linguistic celebration is when you, like, celebrate one language or culture and, like, you don't recognize that there are other cultures. Like how in America, we only recognize that there's English is spoken and we go off of, like, white people and white supremacy. And then honoring languages means that you honor, like, your students' home language along with English and you let them speak whatever language they want. And then critically examining languages means that you use students' home language to help them teach to help teach them English. Like you're not just trying to get them to learn and understand English. You want them to become bilingual and like strengthen their um like home language and also like add in English and like you let them speak whatever language they want because if you let them only speak English then they're gonna get really confused. Yeah. Yeah, that's all true. Um I kind of liked how he said that, um, like, one of the quotes I picked up was students who are in long-term bilingual education score better in English standardized tests than, like, students who only are going through, like, the English classes. Um, he went on to say that, now that's not necessarily saying that, like, bilingual education is better or, like, one is better than the other, but it does kind of point out, like, the, how we think that, like, if students are born in an English-speaking span or an English-speaking family, then they're more likely to do better on English tests. But I think it kind of like pursues the idea that um, students who speak multiple languages or two or like Spanish or English or both 
Um, like, they, they kind of grasp the, the idea of language in general better, therefore making them better at um, the English standardized test than kind of how he said in the podcast. Something else that I thought was um, important that uh, Nelson Flores said in the podcast as a guest was about bilingual um, students or bilingual education just in households in general being fluid. Like they bounce from one to the other like we talked about a few weeks ago with Spanglish. Um, I think he also pointed out how in schools it's important to have an understanding for when students should use Spanish or English, but he kind of made that sound like a bad thing in a way, if that makes sense. Like, like he wanted to make it known that, like, it shouldn't be, we shouldn't, like, make it as hard of, like, a change between Spanish and English, and he kind of ended up saying that, um, like, it's okay for students to use both languages in any context that they want and this was something different than like the other articles I've read for this class like um it talks about code we've talked about the code switching in this class and stuff like that and how like we have to teach our students to like know when the right context is to use like their language of choice and I think it was just something very different than what he said and he said like you you can teach them to do that and it's always like something good for them to know in real life but like like also just like let them let them speak how they want to speak and when they want to speak it yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it is important for them to speak how they want to speak and it gives them a little more freedom and not really controlling about like oh you have to speak this here and have to speak this here I think if they like mix it a little that can make like even like the classroom like more diverse because some like schools like I like, oh, speak English at home, or no, speak Spanish at home, English in the classroom, and I feel like that's kind of not right, because then they can't have the diversity and speak the language that they want, and, like, share their culture with every other student, but I think, like, as they grow up, they can kind of, like, see, like, when is the right time to use it, and not just, like, randomly burst of, like, different languages that doesn't, like, make sense. Yeah, I feel like when you're younger, you need to, like, teachers need to let their students speak whatever language they want. Because if, like, you're telling a five-year-old, like, speak English here, like, they're not going to understand you. They're not going to get it. Like, but, like, as they get older, like Allie said, like, they can try and, like, they can understand when it's right to speak English and when it's not right to speak English and speak their home language. But I just feel like at a young age, you need to teach your students that, like, it's okay to speak English and Spanish, like, whenever you want or whatever language they speak. And so I just feel like, like, giving them that strict rule is going to make them a little bit more, like, overwhelmed and, like, nervous and scared because they're not going to understand, like, what to do. Like, they're going to think, like, oh, I have to speak this random language in school. When I go home, I can be comfortable with whatever I want. And it's, like, hard and confusing. Yeah, I think that, um, especially at, like, a younger age, um, kids might get, like, confused on, like, what language is, like, which. So if you tell them to speak English, they might, like, they might be confused because they're so used to speaking a different language. It's kind of like you need an adjustment for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, like, part of it, like, when they go out in public, like, they might be told to, like, speak English. And I think, like, exactly like what Ali just said, um, they might get confused. And, like, I think in a certain way, the way I think of it 
like, it makes me easier to, like, comprehend, like, how this might feel for them. Um, like, the way I speak to my grandma isn't the same way I speak to, like, my friends. Like, I kind of use, it's not a different language, really, but it's, like, different, like, mannerisms, and I use words that she would use. And then by my friends, I use, like, more, like, I don't know, young and trendy words, and, like, which my grandma would not get. So, in a way, like, I, I would kind of relate that to that, like, oh, it's the same, like, I taught, this is my same language, but, like, this is the way I talk to my friends, this is the way I talk to my family, and I think, like, if I were bilingual, like, that might be how I would think, like, that's the closest that I can, like, get to, like, comprehending what they're going through, I don't know. Another reading we had in class was Translanguaging Classrooms, Context, and Purposes. Um, basically, it talked about three different teachers who um, took up translanguaging in their classrooms and the different um, ways that they, like, used it in their classroom. Uh, we'll start by talking about Carla's classroom and what she did to make her students comfortable with translanguaging. Um, in Carla's classroom, this was in New Mexico, and all of the students are from Spanish-speaking homes. The school aims for bilingualism and biliteracy in two languages. Um, Carla was born in Mexico and moved to the U.S. at the age of 10, and she was taught to separate Spanish and English in the classroom, and she's very, like, hesitant about translanguaging. And all of the students speak a different, like, level of Spanish and English, so it's kind of hard in the classroom. But they emphasize the importance of sharing human experiences in classrooms, they use different materials by Latino authors in the classroom, and they try to make the students as comfortable as they can. And they using like diverse like linguistic um, instructions, and it just helps them feel um, as if they can speak this other language. The next classroom that the article talked about was uh, Stephanie's classroom. This was focused on a high school, and um, it basically talked about how Stephanie had lots of bilingual students, um, but also had students that were like learning like English language learners and then students who were like fluent in both languages um something that I kind of pointed out from this situation was that um in Stephanie's classroom there were like I said a lot of students who were not ELL students um and they kind of were over like so they were not like learning English anymore like they they were pretty fluent in it fluent in it but they were kind of overlooked as bilingual students and so she highlighted their abilities as well because like I thought in my my high school like students who like spoke both languages really well um like weren't as I don't know like pointed out as speaking Spanish because they like didn't take like the bilingual classes and they weren't like pulled out to take bilingual classes like um, other students who were learning both English and Spanish were. The last classroom is Justin's classroom. This offers push in ESL services in middle medium in English medium middle school math and science classes and Justin actually speaks Chinese and Spanish and his students speak many different languages and he places the students in groups with people that speak the same home language so that they can help each other. And then he also has iPads in the classroom that help, like, translate worksheets and instructions, and if the students are confused, they can go over there and, like, put a word in English into um, Google Translate, and then it will give them the word in Spanish or whatever language they speak. And then he lets, their, he lets his students use whatever language they need to. Like, if they 
he like understands and like they're gonna speak some English in some of their home language and he doesn't want them to feel like English is the only language they can speak in the classroom. And I think it's really good that he places his students in groups of people that speak the same home language because that way he can the students can like help each other out and like if one student like knows what the word is in English and then the other one they can help each other out and like one can show the other like what the word is and vice versa and it just like helps create teamwork and like helps the students like learn English. Um, something else that this article with the teachers made me think about was um, my background taking high school Spanish um, gave me like a little bit of a foundation um, to speak Spanish and like communicate in Spanish and it makes me it gives me peace of mind to like know that like if I ever had a, a student who spoke Spanish in my class like I can at least help him or him or her a little bit um, to like get worksheets together or at least like no, I can read and write the language really well, but, like, sometimes when I speak, it's a little slow. Um, but, like, I have no idea what I would do if, like, some other, like, a student, like, that spoke another language um, came into my classroom in the same situation um, as, like, what happened in the article. Um, because I have absolutely no background in any other language besides... Um, English and Spanish. So what do you guys think you would do in this situation? Um, I feel like that's a very like hard question. Like I know absolutely no Spanish. I took German and German's like not a common language around here. So I feel like we're all kind of in that position unless you are bilingual, which like I think a lot of the teachers like aren't. So I think that it's really not up to us and like the teachers should not be like worried about being able to like solve this problem. They should definitely try to accommodate as much as they can. But I feel like this is kind of a school board question because the teacher like schools like need to be required to like have like even if it's like Mandarin like there needs to be someone hired to speak Mandarin even if it's just one student there needs to be someone that could help that student because you can't just place them into an English speaking classroom with nothing they would go nowhere for years so I feel like the school board and the school itself needs to find a way to accommodate every student and have that knowledge of what language they speak before they come to the school so they know, like, who they need to hire and what they need to do to help the student. Yeah, like, I took Hebrew in high school, and, like, that's not common at all. And, like, I learned nothing because my class was, like, the same group of students each year. So, like, we got close, and the teacher didn't change. So it was, like, I knew the kids in the class, and I felt more comfortable. And we kind of just, like, made a joke out of it and, like, didn't really learn anything. So, like, if I had to, like, and I went to Israel um, one one, like, winter, and, like, I tried to listen to the people on the plane, like, speaking Hebrew, and, like, I literally got, like, one word from what they were saying, and it just made me think, like, oh, my God, if I was in, like, a classroom here, and, like, they spoke only Hebrew, like, I still wouldn't even know what they were saying. Like, I couldn't put the context together, so I think it's, like, important if, like, like, Allie just said, like, the school board needs to, like, take charge and, like, help everybody, because it's, like, it's not just, like, a, um, like, a teacher's decision, and, like, their responsibility like yes they're the ones teaching it but the school board needs to like help so yeah well thank you for watching or listening to our podcast and i will see you next episode